is Sukyukyet, Ukaklik Smoky Sumak, and this is the Az Kanaki podcast, where we tell two versions of the same story. Here on Az Kanaki, we understand that colonization is the breaking of relationships. It is our original instructions to hold relationships at the center of everything, whether that be relationships to our lands, waters, children, plants, animals, or to each other. In the spirit of respect for our relations, I send out a prayer for Akhames Kapikapsin, all living things. I hope that you, our listeners, are finding space to breathe, rest, and find joy and pleasure today. May this episode bring you something needed. This episode contains explicit language and conversations about being a mixed-blood girl, COVID-19, being a mom of twins, anti-Indigenous racism, colorism, impacts of colonization, effects of residential school, personal stories of the residential school experience, mixed identities, internalized racism, disenfranchisement, Bill C-31, party songs, motherhood, the labor of truth and reconciliation, orange shirts, and the news of the 215 unmarked graves at Kamloops Indian Residential School. If you are impacted by any of the following content, please be gentle with yourself and reach out to someone safe for support. You are not alone. Thank you for listening to the Az Kanaki Podcast. I'm excited for what we are bringing you this episode, my very own hometown hero, Misha Louie of Misha and the Sphinx. To continue in this spirit, let me tell you about my relationship to Misha. Misha Louie and yours truly grew up in the small town of Invermere, BC. A few years older than me, what I remember most about Misha was just how cool she was, and still is for that matter. I have had the immense privilege of getting to know a lot of incredible Indigenous musicians, artists, writers, and performers, And I have to say that Misha remains one of the raddest people I know. Growing up, I would go to punk shows often hosted in weird places like the Alliance Church behind the IGA or downtown Invermere on a temporary stage for Valley Appreciation Days. Misha headed up multiple bands growing up in a small town, including the Lolitas and Hogpuncher. All these years later, she has found a home with Misha and the Spanks. The Spanks being the many drummers who have partnered with her on stage. Sean Hamilton is her latest and longest partner, and together they've spent the last five years, to quote their website, building and embellishing their garage rock sound into something almost too big for two people to contain. This episode will feature a couple songs, so you get to hear that big sound from their latest albums. I've been following Misha's career for years, seeing shows when I can, and what I can say is that the songs that I'm featuring on this episode change something for me. I'll be honest here and say that growing up, I didn't know Misha was Indigenous. I share this because growing up, I myself didn't really identify with being Indigenous. I get to do talks and workshops all over North America, and I tell my audience that I was taught all the same negative stereotypes about myself as an Indigenous person as they were. I had a lot of internalized racism, so my not knowing about Misha's Shkwebmuk identity wasn't about her, but more so about my own stuff. I likely couldn't imagine my punk rock hero being Indigenous just as I've talked about before in the context of Indigenous literatures. There was literally a time I didn't know we even wrote books or made music. And now I'm happy to say there's so much new work coming out from so many Indigenous writers and musicians that I can't keep up with it all. 
Something I also feel is necessary to know in this episode, which if you've been following me for any length of time, you likely know already. But for anyone just meeting me now, I'll share that I am two-spirit and transgender. While many trans folks don't identify with the gender they were assigned with at birth, and I ask that you respect each individual in how they ask you to talk or not talk about their lives prior to affirming their genders and or coming out to you, I want to share that growing up, I was defined very young as an Indigenous girl and later an Indigenous woman by all the world around me. I share this because the song we're going to start with from Misha and the Spank spoke to me on a level that I didn't know Misha and I shared way back when I was just a young kid at one of her punk shows. Perhaps it's what always drew me to look up to her, even when I didn't know how similar we were. The song is called Mixed Blood Girls, and I'm going to play it for you now, and then Misha and I will get to have a visit about growing up Mixed Blood Girls, what identity means to us now, and our shared family histories. Welcome to Oz Kanaki, Misha. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to connect with you again. 
I'm so happy we're finally joining in studio as the last time we were scheduled to record. We both ended up getting COVID. Yeah, so wild. I took the test as just a precaution. I was like, oh, (laughs) I do. So test out there. (laughs) I hope you're all staying safe in this world. But we finally got together. And yeah, how are you today? I'm doing good. Really busy with a lot of music stuff going on. We're just finishing up a record and I've got a couple of three-year-old twins. So I'm just always really busy (laughs) no matter what else is going on. No kidding. No kidding. (laughs) We just played Mixed Blood Girls. Can you talk about where they can find that? Yes. So Mixed Blood Girls came out on our long EP called Singles EP. There's seven tracks there. And we made a really cool music video with Indie City here in Calgary. It's kind of a cinematic video, kind of outlining like a younger version of me. And there's a poem, the poem that inspired it actually, called Mixed Blood Girls by Rain Prudhomme, where I heard it actually at Smokey's book launch here in Calgary. So there's all this whole other connection with that song to me and Smokey. And it was just at Imaginative in Toronto, which was very, very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm hoping to link it on our website so they will be able to find the Indie City link so they can awesome. watch this. So please, listeners, go watch this after that. And I did want to talk a little bit more about that moment. So I got to read my book, which was wild to me that I was I published a book. Sometimes I still can't believe it. (laughs) And I had invited my friend Rain Prudhomme Cranford, who is an incredible poet. And I just if you could talk a little more about that, what it meant. So I came to see you. And um, and was treated to Rain earlier. And she had this poem called Mixed Blood Girls. And it's, you know, it's her experience. We all have very different experiences being mixed and everything. And she shared this poem and it connected with me on this level that I had never thought my mixed experience would matter or be relevant or important or could touch anybody else. And so I've never written about it. So in that, I've also never written about being Indigenous at all because it's so tied to my mixed identity. And so when I heard that, I instantly was inspired that I'm going to write mine. Like, I have, I do have something to say. If this one can touch me and this isn't my experience, then a song I write could touch somebody else. And maybe it is relevant. And maybe I've been approaching this all wrong. And so for about two years, I just had this idea fostering in my brain of mixed blood girls and what I would write. But it all came from that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so exciting because I think that's part of what this podcast wants to do is connect the idea that even though our stories are different, we're connected through these experiences. And when we share those experiences in whatever way they come for us, they're unique to our own story, but they connect to each other. And I think Rain Rain is someone that her work always speaks to me too. I think, I mean, everyone on this show and yourself, of course. And I think I'm so grateful for that. The constellation of relations of like Indigenous artists and... In the Indie City video I was just watching this morning again, you talk about all the ways we get asked the question, what are you? Yeah. And one of the stories that I think we got to meet and talk earlier about this, and I shared that I remember being six years old and having another white girl say to me, but you're not dirty like them. Yeah. And the line in the song is like, too pretty to be Indian, right? And so I... I just, I'm like, what a fucked up feeling. It's right. Yeah. Like the song, it's, it's yeah. there, right? Like being in ballet as a child, like my whole life, that was kind of the statement, you know, like, no, but you're too pretty. You must be European, mm-hmm. you know, must be your father must be French. My last name is Louis, but no, it's <laughs> not French, <laughs> different Louis. And I just like, that was a big part of 
trying to reconcile my identity as a child was like, people don't even think I am. And I'd see like my cousins and what their life was like. It was very different than my life because my dad really did kind of separate. He mm-hmm. would be there for his family. He would help his family. They would come around. But I didn't participate in anything, any um, like powwows or dancing like I did ballet instead of like jingle dancing or any kind mm-hmm. of dancing. And it's funny that you never realized I was indigenous because your mom was like the student counselor right. for indigenous students. And she would I talked with her a lot and she would try to get me involved in a lot of those moments and different cultural events. And my dad always said no. And these are like these are actually kind of direct lyrics in the song. <laughs> right. He he always didn't want me to. And he was always like, we don't live on the res. We don't do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I can't speak for him, but I think a lot of that was trying to keep me safe. And he saw what his siblings and their kids' lives were like, and they weren't good. You know, everyone was affected differently and survived differently from the effects of like residential school, which my grandmother was at Kamloops. Mm-hmm. And so I think instead of living like in that trauma, my dad just tried to cut it off mm-hmm. and then thought it would be better for me also to cut it off and kind of made that decision for me. So I just kind of grew up knowing like all the really beautiful things about my ancestry and my history and like the kin baskets have such a beautiful migration story and there's so mm-hmm. many cool things, but I didn't participate on a day to day. And that also just kind of messed with my my mixed identity. Mm-hmm. I And I fully honor that because I think it's funny I think probably because you're a bit older than me and so I didn't always know you were in the working with my mom or that kind of stuff my mom my mom was an aboriginal education support worker for many years so and I think I tried to distance myself as well because she was in the school so I didn't want to go to the room Right. right it was my mom and then there was also a lot of this like and I think this is similar with us is that you know for me I don't know I played music or I did things that were not necessarily the things the Indian kids did and I often talk about it as like I was told, oh, well, you're on the honor roll or you're successful in these ways. And so that also the internalized racism of like distinguishing me against people who were struggling. And and I also know that like my mom left the res. Well, I shouldn't say left the res. My grandma was bill c35 so she lost her status so we she wasn't on the reserve right and so there's sort of this narrative that says oh we left but also to remember that many of us were disenfranchised and don't have the ability to get land on the res and so i think it's to me i never want to pit our stories against each other i want to tell them all but i do that when you talk about the you know feeling enough to talk about this. I mean, my book, You Are Enough, is yeah. the title, right? And I think this is something I've wrestled with a lot. And I mean, I was, I'm biologically Tanaka. I was adopted and raised Tanaka in Shikwetmuk. I, like, I'm, I remember somebody saying, You don't think you're indigenous enough? Like, you have all these stories. And so that helped me kind of connect. And I think we have to share these stories because. One thing we talk here a lot about on Askanaki is that representation matters. And I always have to shout out to Dr. Adrienne Keene for really introducing me to this idea many years ago through her blog, nativeappropriations.com. And I want to talk about that because when I heard this song, I think, like, I wept. Like, I was, like, crying. And, like, then I listened to it three or four times and I was just, like, what, like, I... There was something that resonated that I didn't even know was still in there because, you know, I've come out as trans. Most people see me masculine. I mean, at the airport, I get 
It's I, it's a whole thing at the airport, yeah. but having come out as trans, being five years on testosterone, all these kind of things. But that line, like, you're too pretty to be Indian, all these years of being perceived as an Indian woman, my body remembers every what are you. I'm remembering a first date where, like, you know, you say your First Nations, and I think the f- next question he, he had was something racist about funding, like school yeah, funding. And yeah, I was totally. like, ugh. And so I, you know, I'm happy to say that in that moment, like I paid for my drink and left, but there was, there's been so many uncomfortable conversations. You just like suffer through it. Yeah. And you just sort of are like, and, and especially being younger, I think part of this is why I went into Indigenous studies so that I could be like, I could have answers because you don't always know, like the government keeps it complicated and there's all these layers and so there was, like, shame of, like, yeah, well, I did get some funding or whatever, which is now I'm, like, got land? Like, hello? Like, this song feels extremely validating when it comes to those experiences. And I know, I think in the video you feature some other mixed blood girls. Yeah. And I know you've had a really great, like, people have been reaching out it's to you about how it resonates. It's been a huge response, yeah, that I, you know, it was really like hard on me and I felt really anxious getting ready to release it because of that feeling like I felt empowered to write it and create it and then when it came to releasing it I was scared again with those feelings of am I enough am Mm -hmm. I gonna insult somebody am I making too big a deal out of my experience like all of these kinds of things but I one of the girls who was in the video came up to me in the bathroom at the Ship and Anchor at one of our shows just to tell me how much that song meant to her. Mm-hmm. Um, like her, She looks quite fair and quite different from her mother who looks, who I think might even be full. And she's just like, I don't, people don't know what I am. I, I get tossed in different categories. And she was like, I feel all of those things that you say in the song. And I was just like, wow. So this is a real face-to-face person who mm-hmm. is feeling this. So I invited her to be in the video when it came time for that. And then I had a few friends that it resonated with as well. And when we released the video, like, I had the comments. I had, like, one negative kind of thing from someone I think is just kind of a jerk. <laughs> but, yeah, right. <laughs> but for the most part, it was, like, overflowing with really positive comments and connections and people who the song resonated with. And that's what I really hoped would happen but was so scared wouldn't. Right. When I think of that opening of like connecting with rain, because I think in literature, I've felt that. And I, I think also you being in punk rock, it's a very specific genre. Yeah. You've mentioned as well that like you're educating because there's not a lot of, I know there's some indigenous punk rock bands and there's some, you know, definitely musicians out there, but I think it's fewer and far between. Yeah. If I think of indigenous literature, I can talk about like a canon, right? And I think you're leading the way in your genre. Thanks. I definitely don't often, I get really excited if I see another Indigenous person in a band, which is kind of how I used to feel about finding another woman in a band. Mm -hmm. Now, like, that's definitely starting to level out, and I hope that next it's, like, Indigenous. I mean, there's a ton of great Indigenous music, just not a lot of rock and punk. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been a huge fan for, it's, like, forever. Like, it's, I feel like I'm always like, oh my gosh, I'm fanboying over here, but... I wanted to say not only were you my hometown hero, but I want to share, I'm hoping on the website I can share the the photo of you, the pregnancy photo with like pregnant with twins in the leather jacket with oh, the yeah. braids. Like I just was <laughs> like, I, I was blown away by it. And I was like, oh, this like super powerful. And you were just mentioning actually the the woman who came up to you in the bathroom and, and talked about that looking different. And I just wanted to give a shout out and I, I have a gift for you, but... 
One of our other episodes was with Tasha Spillett Sumner, and she has a new children's book out. Uh, I think I gave you I Sing You Down yes. from the Stars. So she has a new one out called Beautiful Me, Beautiful You. And it's about looking different. It's about oh, the nice. mother looks different than the child. And so I know you have two black and indigenous children. Yeah, my husband is Trini. Trini, yeah. And so what do you, what do you call them, Trini? So I call them Trini Nietzsche. Trini Nietzsche. <laughs> Trini, it's, that's so, I love it. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about, I mean, I know this is a huge question, but like how has bringing the boys into the world changed your perspective on some of this or I'd definitely, I mean, you know, I always had a longing to to learn more about my culture because I so much of my youth I didn't get to I didn't get to learn a lot I didn't learn my language for example you know I didn't get to participate in a lot of stuff and so I've got this like maybe it's just this maternal feeling of wanting to make sure my kids have that or at least have the option of that so I've been slowly learning Shohatmuk via Chief Adam School. And your cam loops. Um, I was doing the online program, but I was right when they didn't have daycare yet and stuff. And my album came out, and I had to kind of quit. But I learned a few things, and so I like try to say animal names with them in different languages and stuff. And like Otis really is taking to it, which is really cool. So I can kind of learn with them, which is kind of an exciting thing. Awesome. I'm not really like honestly, I'm not really sure about getting them into dancing and stuff. Like, I don't really know where to start because I'm in Calgary and I'm not back at home in the Valley. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'd like to just present them with, see if they're into it, see what they connect with. But I definitely just have this, I feel a different kind of responsibility in how I project my music and my songs and just my art in general. Like, I used to, I mean, I think it's also aging, but like I used to be more focused on like, party songs and like love songs and frivolous kind of stuff and now having some meaning behind what I'm doing is more important to me than it's ever been Mm -hmm. and I think that's definitely a combo of motherhood and age (laughs) right sort of settling down I I don't know um yeah and I think I've I've witnessed that progression in your work too I mean I can think of like I think in Saskatoon one time we like partied together at one oh, of your yeah. shows right and I'm like <laughs> I vaguely remember that you know six years sober a couple days ago so I'm like that's uh it's good for me but um no but I think that I'm witnessing that shift and just really grateful to see it not to say the part I love the party songs too right yeah. we, we say sacred <laughs> there's gonna be a couple of party sacred songs. party aunties right <laughs> that's the, that's a whole thing too so I've been thinking about, you know, mixed blood identities and also I think often our black and indigenous kin are, there's an erasure happening there. I know that there's been conversations in big media, for example, reservation dogs, there was a conversation about that. And so I do want to honor that the mixed identities that when we say mixed blood girls, we can be talking about black and indigenous as well, right? And just opening up that conversation. And I think, again, just to connect back, if you haven't listened to the Tasha Spillett Sumner episode, we do talk about that a little bit. And her books are amazing for this, her children's books especially. And I, I like to give them to everybody so that we're all seeing different children represented because that's something that I don't think we have either. We see enough, so. Totally. Yeah. I will say, like, during my pregnancy, something that really flashed me back to what it felt like to be a mixed blood, like, child was the amount of comments of, like, oh, they're going to be so beautiful. Like, the perfect mixes of, you know, like, it's this Petri dish of, like, the 
best parts of every race are being put together. Yeah. And I think I know it's meant to be complimentary, but it just like ugh, like brings your hair stand on end. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of being like, yeah, like six in ballet and being like, oh, too beautiful though to be Indian, right? You know. But I've got like, oh, that beautiful tan skin. You know, right. just those people putting those pieces together of like as if there's a bad part of that race and you skipped that one. You got the good one instead. Right. And this weird like, like I always think about it as how white people are aiming for that look like the, the tan and the, this whole thing. Yeah. And yet not too dark. Right. And that idea <laughs> yeah, of like darkness. Right? And I mean, we talk about it even in like Disney film representations, right? The idea of yes. darkness and the villain or like fat and the villain or all of these kind of ableist representations as well. And so... I hope we're in a changing world. I know that I see a lot of indigenous representation and black representation that is, you know, written by and for black and indigenous people that is creating a different world. And yeah. so I challenge our listeners to always go out and look for that because, you know, I, I recognize I have a lot of, you know, a lot of non-indigenous friends, a lot of settler Canadian friends that are like, hey, can you recommend stuff? Because it is still hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need that representation does matter. And even things like, you know, Band-Aids or ballet tights. That was a new one that I was, you were talking yeah. about ballet earlier. Yeah, skin tone <laughs> tights. Like, we're always so bizarre. Right, right. <laughs> for, for Band-Aids, all these different kind of things, right? And, yeah. Or like the Indian red color. Like, there's all, all of these really interesting things that happen. So what a gift to be talking about all the representation and this stuff with you. And I want to, you mentioned your grandmothers, you mentioned residential schools and I think the other song we're going to play is Dig Me Out and so I want to talk a little bit about that and that both my grandmothers attended St. Eugene Residential School. My grandma Sabina was Tunaka and Chiquetmuk and I know that we talked about you knowing my mom well. I want to honor that Chiquetmuk connection and the intergenerational survivor connection as well that we both have. I know that you wrote about this on your track which we're going to play to close out the episode I think this is usually where some folks might include a content warning. I want to remind listeners that you can turn off this episode at any time and take care of yourself. However, if you're a settler Canadian, I ask you to return when you are able and make a commitment to listening to the truth. As my elders say, Canadians seem to have skipped the reconciliation part and forgot about truth. The last thing I'll say is that if you do feel heavy as we're talking, Misha's music is one of my go-tos for moving energy through my body. So put on her album and dance it out. And that said, I think I want to spend the rest of this episode really talking about that truth. And as we know, in May 2021, the community of Kamloopte Shikwetmuk released the news of the 215 unmarked graves at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Again, I find my own experience being mirrored in the lyrics of Misha's song, Dig Me Out. I know that the title at first gave me a sinking feeling. I was like, oh, okay, Misha, we went there. And I also realized I have to step back and realize that that's not coming from you telling the story. That's coming from the stories themselves. And so I just wanted to ask if you want to tell us a little bit about the song and how it came to be. So us as Indigenous people, we knew what happened at residential schools this whole time, right? And it's kind of this I don't think there's a day where I don't think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something since I was a child, I've known what what happened, um, especially to my grandmother, which I'll just share that her two older sisters died at St. Eugene's. So they got her to go to Kamloops instead, but she was raped there and came back pregnant at, I think, 14. Mm-hmm. And that would like forever change her life. And that's, that's someone who survived, right? Like mm-hmm. there's... 
everyone who didn't even make it past and get out. But anyway, so this is a reality I've known about for a very long time. And then when those children were discovered, it was like this media frenzy. Like now people are listening. Now people want to hear and they Mm -hmm. want to hear all at once. So anyone who's ever known that is now seeing it everywhere they look. And that was my experience. And I couldn't look away and I couldn't dig myself out of reading every single survivor's stories. And it was so like bad for me to be doing that on my soul, but I, I just couldn't stop. And so I, the song I wrote as a way for me to process all of that, to dig myself out. Obviously there's the reference to the children wanting to go home as well with that. And I decided to write it in a way like in popular music style, like a really rocking song, because I wanted to see if I could get enough attention to the song that people wouldn't maybe realize what they're listening to. Because mm-hmm. I still in my feed was seeing people who didn't believe it or like that, well, a lot of kids died back then, like mm-hmm. all of responses. And I wanted people to know, even though I've been pretty vocal about being Indigenous since kind of working on Mixed Blood Girls, I wanted people to realize how connected they were to that event. Like, if you know me, if you listen to my music, if you're a fan, you're connected to this because Mm -hmm. I'm someone that you love or respect, and my family went through this. So it's not as far removed as people think it was. So I wanted to make this song that people would be excited to hear because the riff is cool, (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and then they would have to hear about it, and they would have to learn about it. And I was shocked at the amount of radio support that song got because I thought this is too heavy. This Mm -hmm. is too heavy of a topic and I'm not hiding what it's about when I give it to radio people. Uh, It's in the press release, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's it's very prevalent and they were still playing it on like X929 here in Calgary and it got a ton of ads on places like not just the Indigiverse, not Indigenous focused stations, but on like The Zone in Victoria and The Edge in Toronto and people were playing it and listening and writing to me about it and I was like, wow. Like this, what I wanted to happen, happened. It got like people would listen to it and they would have to learn something. Yeah. I think it's an incredible way to to talk about it, right? Because, and, and the fact that you chose this song, because I was like, yeah, this is a jam. And also like, <laughs> cool, right? Like it does hit you. And it's like, again, the two versions of the same story, right? And the story that I want to tell in this episode is, one of my uncle's work, Dr. Christopher Horsethief in the Tunaka Nation, and he's worked with elders and language and knowledge holders for decades. So when the news of the 215 was released, of course, it was talked about. And this is what you've shared, right? That everyone, we didn't have a choice. And I think that's the other thing that happens is like, I had to keep reminding people like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission started in 2008, mm-hmm. was closed in 2015. There's an entire chapter on unmarked graves like it's it, we've we've known these stories forever and i think my uncle was like yeah i mean we have hundreds thousands of these stories really and he shared one that struck me that illustrates just how common the deaths were he was at an elders gathering i think maybe 10 15 years ago and in our elders gatherings we often advise to have extra time before the agenda this is something that you know settler culture isn't used to of you spend, you have a half an hour where you just, that's, you get there, you pour the coffee, everyone's visiting. So often you show up in the gatherings and it's, everyone's talking and laughing. And he came into this room and it was silence and it was very heavy in the room. And he was like, oh, what's going on? And he said there was these two women 
and they were sitting and sort of looking at each other. Finally, one of them said, do you remember me? And the other one just had tears streaming down her face. And she said, yeah. She's like, I'm sorry we never came looking for you. We thought you died. And these two women hadn't seen each other since they were five years old, six years old in residential Uh school. You know, you wake up one day, one of the little girls is gone and it was just so normal. And here they are as elders and this to have this being reunited was such an incredible moment. And they were best friends. And I just think to reconnect to that, what a gift in that moment. But how many of the people didn't get that story and that it was so commonplace? Like these stories, we all have them. I know your own story of your grandmother and your aunties that you shared and I think one of the things you shared here is talking about like like you'll notice when I said that trigger warning I was like non-indigenous people come back mm-hmm. indigenous people if you don't want to listen to this if you're if you need to turn it off and never come back that's fine because it's like your family stories and I understand and I and I think that idea of like how do we look away where is it safe to look at this stuff how do we create safety for us as this is happening funny enough i yesterday was flying and it was you know wild and wasn't as wild as your recent flight that took 12 hours but it took quite a while and i got in and then i had to drive downtown i'm staying pretty close to the studio in calgary and i had to drive over the reconciliation bridge and i was like what is this (laughs) which i have now been informed because i posted on my instagram i was like complaining about it it used to be called Langevin, which was he was kind of considered the architect of residential schools, somebody who had a big part in designing, and so it had been changed. And yet I, I feel like, I guess I, I just want to talk about like what reconciliation, like how do we feel about it? As I drove across that bridge, I was like, oh my gosh. This morning I looked at it and was like, okay, I can kind of get there. And I don't want to disrespect any of the Indigenous people involved because I know we have to do things, but I think I'm just at a point where I'm I don't know if I'm bitter or jaded or, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I honestly don't know, like, what, what's next. You know, the Pope finally apologized, not on behalf of the Catholic Church, so, like, it was kind of a weird apology, mm-hmm. like, almost a sorry they existed mm-hmm. kind of apology. Um, and I, I don't know why I and I, I think a lot of people put such importance on this apology to happen right. you know i guess it was just an acknowledgement wanting an acknowledgement and that happened but it didn't feel very satisfactory mm-hmm. like I, like I, there was a bit of like felt like there's some celebration in the air but it kind of just i still just kind of felt shitty mm-hmm. <laughs> when that when that happened like that was a sad day for me yeah i think it's uh, one of the things i talk about a lot is in 2008 with the apology because i still feel like i fr- frustrated by it and then I also have to remember that my grandma, Sabina, was still alive then. And she, her and some survivors went to St. Eugene and watched the apology. And I know that for them it meant something. And I, it's the same thing with the Pope apology. I have to sort of leave space for survivors and former students to be able to have what that gave them. Right, of course, yeah. And yet I'm also deeply critical, I think. So, um, yeah, I think our these stories are are tough but I also I also see indigenous people leading the way in our healing and I think that's the space where you know we get the apology from the pope and like you said it feels like a, a rough day whereas I know um I was I had the opportunity to do the walk for reconciliation at the closing of the TRC well it wasn't the closing 
was in Vancouver, but it was the Vancouver National Event of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And that was led by Chief Robert Joseph, who I think just put out a book as well about this. And I felt like there they were doing, you know, when it, when I go to events that Indigenous people are leading, I can feel that healing. Yeah. And I think like you talked about dancing and I, I you know, I would love to see your kids. I, I love seeing kids dancing. I have these moments where I'm like, oh, like, how did I not learn this? Right. Like, what, yeah. I wish I could have been there um, and been part of it. And, you know, I think I they, it's weird to me because my mom was so connected and yet I I didn't. And so, yeah, I just think about these celebrations and the way Indigenous people are sort of leading the way. And I think your song sort of does that, too. It catches us, right? Like it, choosing, making those decisions to tell these stories in all these kinds of ways. Having this day, this Truth and Reconciliation Day. Oh, ha- yeah. Like, had, like it it happened, I mean, okay, it's pretty new. Like, this was the second year, right? And mm-hmm. it, it happened that this music festival that was here in Calgary, like more of an industry kind of conference, Breakout West, was happening over that day. And so they created this, like, Indigenous lounge, and there was kind of, like, these Indigenous music meetings there, and I went to those. Those are kind of, like, the only things I really had time to do. But it was, like, really heavy every mm-hmm. time. And uh, Ishkade Records hosted this really big ground circle meeting on the day, and we're all crying. Like, we're all, yeah. like, having these really emotional, sad times, and then... We have to go outside and like have meetings about our industry and important business things. And it was really poorly set up. I mean, yeah, a bit of benefit of the doubt that maybe, oh shit, New Holiday didn't think about it. Mm -hmm. Cool they set this up, but it felt very, it didn't feel like the day was for us, you know? No, and I mean, I think that I always talk about how that first, the first one, like Justin Trudeau was surfing in Tofino on the first <laughs> like Truth and Reconciliation a, it's not Day. A holiday. Like, <laughs> and so I, and, and what I talk about, I was working in the nation at that time, and we got all of these settler people being like, what are we doing? Like, what are we supposed to do for the holiday? Like, are you doing a walk? Are you doing these things? And we had to be like, listen, the government told us it was a new holiday the same time they told you. And so we now have to plan events. We now have to lead the way. It's like again. extra work. Oh, it's for, always for us, right? Always work. It's interesting, yeah. like how it all kind of rolled out. Like, and even I had accepted a show that night without really thinking about the date. And I was like, what am I going to say at this show? Like, am I like the representation at this show? And now I have to say a big thing yeah. when I can like barely get through the day. Yeah. And I, I had an engagement party and I met my white settler family (laughs) about like 30 of his family members and I will say and like I you know I won't say much about that but I will say that I didn't recognize how heavy the day would be for me yeah for lunch we went into this place and it was like they were giving some of the whatever you ordered like there was like a dollar or two going to the residential school survivor study or something something local maybe and I like burst into tears and was like oh so there's like there's this one hand where I was like, look at... And it was like an original Joe's. And I used to work at an original Joe's years ago. And I was like, I cannot imagine this happening yeah. 10 years ago. And so there's part of me that's like, I get that like... It's kind of like yourself when you're like, I the radio is actually playing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I can see how the TRC has changed society in a way. There's a support happening that we wouldn't have seen before, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. The amount of orange shirts are increasing. And that's also a very cool... It's like... 
symbols of support yeah. and that one dollar thing that's a symbol of support and that wouldn't have been there 10 years ago for sure right and i think so i think those are great things and then here i am like going to going what why did i agree to do this on this day yeah. because part of me was like i didn't think that this day would be that big of a deal and then i was like oh it, it like it of course it is right of course it is heavy and it was very cute because I want to shout out to the cousins. There was like three of them that showed up in orange shirts to the to the dinner, which was and you know of course I, I wasn't even wearing an orange shirt to the dinner because I was like it's it's a fancy you know, it's, dinner, it's a fancy party. <laughs> but it was just very sweet, and I, I had that you know that connection. But I think we have to figure out what it looks like for us. And I think what you've said too is that it's always these sad and heavy spaces. And one of the things I've been asking about lately is how do we center Indigenous joy. Mm-hmm. pleasure like fun right you talked about the party songs and i don't do you watch reservation dogs it's, yes so like the auntie when the yes. aunties go yes, out the I'm auntie like, the, con- the oh, health the conference, conference. <laughs> so I, i'm like i just i and so there's this piece of me that i'm starting to realize and i think you know i've struggled with depression and all kinds of stuff my whole life and so i've been like what is it how do i choose to step into joy right so i guess on that note what's bringing you joy these days I mean, my little baby bears, for sure, Arthur and Otis are like, it's hard, you know, not to just like laugh and smile in the presence of such special little guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're definitely my medicine all of the time. I'm really, really excited about the new music that we made on the new record. We're like yeah. in the middle of approving mixes. And so I'm, I'm past the the really critical stage of analyzing my work and correcting it and I'm enjoying it right now and that's really nice. That's it's a really good stage to be in because it's going to get really crazy again soon. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to talk a little bit about the new work? Yeah, it's produced by the drummer from the Buttscocks and Paul Rosson and we worked with them on our last full album Girls, Girls, Girls as well. We recorded in uh, the UK for part of it, here at National Music Centre for part of it and another studio called OCL and it is like I've been trying to figure out how exactly to like describe it. And we're actually picking an album title right now. So it may it might not be this by the end <laughs> of it. But I was I just kind of read in this bio that someone wrote for us, unconditional love and hi-fi noise. And it just jumped mm. out at me and I was like, yeah, that's totally what the album's about. There's a lot of talking about being enough. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of en- enough kind of flies through it a lot, like being indigenous enough. I write a song about that one jerky comment on the Mixed Blood Girls song called Bully because it was just this uh, this guy kind of harassing me on socials at four in the morning for a while. But he's what he's quit. So hopefully this doesn't respark it. But there's a song about that. So it's kind of about indigenous gatekeeping, I guess, is more what it's about. Mm-hmm. And there's a song about called Enough is Enough. And it's about how overworked we can become trying to do like for me, it's, you know, music, which is my work and motherhood and my relationships and mm-hmm. keeping up with all the cultural stuff I want to keep up with and learn more about. And it's just like an overwhelming of that. So that kind of enough. And a lot about motherhood, I got a song called Mum Jeans and <laughs> the transition into motherhood. And so it's got a lot of and and also just like being angry at different parts of society. There's some of that on there, too. And so it's really really is kind of about finding that unconditional love. For me, I kind of found it via writing a lot of these songs. And it's uh, kind of sounds like hi-fi noise. So (laughs) that's kind of how it all ties together. (laughs) 
we're talking about relationships, and I mentioned Sean in the beginning, but I, I'm always like curious. Like, I was like, now I get to ask music questions, but I'm always curious because you've had all kinds of bands, right? And so, yeah. like, do you want to talk about that progression and where, like, I don't, I don't know what my question is. Well, <laughs> uh, just talk about Sean. Talk about Sean. Sean's- Maybe I'm just like, I'm also a fan of Sean. So. <laughs> Sean is great. I'm Sean- growing out the mullet, and that's like partially because of Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Sean joined the band as kind of a fill in. Um, I think like 2015 and quickly became a full-time member because we're both like lifer musicians and that's what I was waiting to find. I always kind of had a two-year expiry date on drummers because nobody wants to live on the road, you know, and Mm -hmm. they're using their paid vacation days, whereas I'm just going and Sean's just going and we're just doing this until we can make it our jobs, which right now uh, it's my job and Sean is very, very close to it being his job. I think he just can't quit this diner. He loves working at this breakfast <laughs> diner. And we just have a really great similar temperament and he's so down to explore all of my stories, like all of the lyrical and that kind of story content is all mine. And he's so supportive at trying to find the right way to make the music embellish it the best way possible. And we have a really great partnership and I really love working with him. So it's it's been really fun having him by my side. He was my best man at my wedding as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, that's awesome. And I think part of the reason I wanted to talk about it is you mentioned Indigenous gatekeeping. And I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always amazed when I start doing these episodes and I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk about this. But I have a little bit, well, I was always taught that being two-spirit was like we say the taboo things and we push against things. And I know right now there's a national conversation happening, well, international conversation happening about this, you know, the indigenous identity and the idea of like pretendianism and yeah. this kind of stuff, which granted, I will say like I understand, you know, there are resources for indigenous people that should not be taken by non-indigenous people. And yet I also just want to share the teaching that my... Tunaka elders are like, just one drop and you're part of us. Like, come home and we'll help you. We'll teach you. And there's, like, I have been taught by so many of my teachers that we we welcome in whoever comes, whoever shows up. And so I think part of the reason I wanted to ask you about Sean is that relationship. Because even on this show, we did as much as we could to hold Indigenous artists. But for me, my relationship with our project manager and executive producer, Crystal Strong, they are a settler Canadian and... To me, the relationship is important. And the fact that I actually have someone who's willing to support this project and do these things and that we can have these conversations and is working on learning and all of these kind of things. I think I guess I just wanted to to talk about that because, you know, you're doing these things in your albums. And I think this is going to sound cheesy, but if I actually think about what reconciliation is, I'm like, that's what it is. Right. Like mm-hmm. these relationships where best man at your wedding Like you're spending, like you spend time with this person and how do we actually become good relations to each other? And that's a question that I ask all the time rather than sort of this idea of like people go, oh, good neighbor. And I'm like, well, I like relation better because it's not just the fence isn't (laughs) keeping us apart. Right. So anyways, that's that's something I've been thinking about with. with Yeah. Sean, I guess, you know, I don't work with a lot of settlers who aren't supportive and trying to Mm -hmm. learn and trying to be involved you know like I just don't surround myself with that kind of person anymore Mm -hmm. so it's I definitely agree that like reconciliation is those kinds of shared partnerships where it's it's not just us and them right you know Um, I know Sean is always very conscious of like anytime we get like let's say a ad on the indigiverse and he's like I'm just this white guy though you know and it's like well 
these songs are my stories mm-hmm. and it's just the two of us and I don't so like what because my drummer is white my stories can't be on an indigenous radio station you know like mm-hmm. I don't think that that's an issue but I know he definitely tries to step back whenever the spotlight is on that part of us mm-hmm. we find ways to do that right it makes sense and I I appreciate that and I think I guess where I'm coming from too is like to to center those relationships and say this is somebody that's important to me and I'm bringing them along. I know in my ceremonial family, they there's uh, one lady that comes from New York City. That's what my we even have a white lady from New York City. That's what my ceremony leader says, and he goes, and if she can learn how to pray, then anyone can. <laughs> so it's kind of a joke, right? But it's true. I think whenever I've been in ceremony, whenever I've been in the circle, whenever I've been, you know, even we talked about power dancing, we talked about all these things, and. I don't power dance, but whenever I've been to power, I was like, everyone's welcome, right? Yeah. And there are some things where, yeah, you have to close the doors too, but there's always some times where there's like eye rolls because if everyone's welcome, there's maybe people who aren't treating it with the same respect. But in general, I think I'm open to that and and open to these conversations. And I also am like, look at all my family members I would be cutting out if I make it us and them. Yeah, like, exactly. These totally. are, this is my family. This is who I am. This is, you know, a part of our history. So you talked about being afraid of comments and I'm like, well, we'll see how this goes. But, <laughs> but I think the nice thing is that we do have different perspectives and that's what I try to bring in with these conversations is I don't think anyone's wrong. I, I often say if they're not trying to claim Tanaka, then it's not really my business because that's up to their nation. So you've been living in Calgary for a while, right? Yes. And home is obviously like we share the same hometown. We share home. You go back quite a bit. Not back to like Invermere that much anymore, though. Like after my dad passed, my mom moved to Calgary just to be closer to me and my sister. So... When I do go back to the valley, I'm like in a hotel, which is so weird. It's so weird to be in your home. And like that home is where like all of all of my ancestors lived since the Kinbasket migration. Mm-hmm. So like I feel very in tune to that land and that valley. And it is very weird for me not to have like a place there mm-hmm. to go back to. And so my sister lives in Kimberly, which is close by. My dad is actually... His ashes are buried under the last apple tree in the sloughs, which was where his grandmother's homestead was, Cecilia mm-hmm. Kinbasket. And yeah, a lot of, well, yes, like a lot of stories <laughs> I guess to go with that. But my father is in the sloughs, which is now a bird sanctuary. So that land will always be protected, which is really cool. How it became that way is not so cool, but either way, his spot is always kind of protected there. So whenever we're going through anywhere, even on tour, if there's time, like me and Sean will stop there and I'll go down to the sloughs. And then that's kind of my my homeland connection mm-hmm. is whenever I go there. It's just like by Wilmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Because I think that's, we talk about this place-based knowledge. We talk about Indigenous understanding and connection to place. And as I mentioned earlier, I talked about my grandma not having... A place on the reserve, right? And I mean, and also the reserves are not always where our people were. Mm-hmm. Um, and like my grandma wanted to be, it's the same thing. My grandma is where her family lived, but that land belongs to the men in the family, right? Because of the laws. And so I think it's so interesting to think about this way of connecting. And, you know, my family is, of course, still in the homelands and I now live back home, which has been such a trip. I don't know if I'll stay there forever, but um, 
thank you for sharing that connection and that complication, right? Of not really of staying in a hotel. I mean, especially in Invermere, that's weird. Like, the, the, so the Invermere Inn, or <laughs> yeah, the little motel just up from the to- by the oh, yeah. by the post office. By the post motel. office, there you go. <laughs> if you know Invermere, you know what we're talking about. So, yeah, and the Blue Dog Cafe is still there. That's how I, know, I was yeah. like, I haven't talked about the Blue Dog Brownies yet. I always but... go there. Yes, yes. Misha used to work at the Blue Dog and. Like, I don't know if you remember me as a kid. Like, I just... Yeah, remember, yeah. Like, yeah, I do. Of like, course. I just feel like I still... I talk about being fanboy, but I'm like, that's this moment of getting to talk to someone from my hometown who you're still doing the music, which I love. And I'm just really grateful we had this conversation. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to get to know each other a bit more over the years. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having we me. We say, My heart is happy. Thank you for being here today, and I look forward to listening to the new album. You can find more of Misha at MishaandTheSpanks.net. And now we'll play Dig Me Out by Misha and the Spanks. Tachaz! Dig me out from the shallow pit Get any deeper, I can't get out of it I get it, I can't look away I said I get it, I get it, it just pulled me
Podcast Kanaki Podcast would like to thank our guest Misha Louie and Michael Ayat at the National Music Center in Calgary for the session. Thank you also to our podcast team, sound designer, audio engineer, and editor Grayson Grit of Minotan Music and producer Crystal Strong of Awesome Artist Management. We would like to thank the Canada Council for the Arts for their generous funding of Season 1. 